Broadcasting legend Freak Robertson started working at the Public Broadcaster in 1975. This, before the SABC had even sent its first TV signals to the airwaves. Good day, and welcome to an SABC Digital News exclusive. My name is Luvoy Omlen. In this episode, we share the experiences with Freak Robertson on his life in journalism leading up to the 1994 general elections. Robertson will first take us through the experiences of what it was like to be part of the team that was involved in the SABC's first broadcast. The television started in 1976 officially. So we had broadcasts before then, but test broadcasts and prepared ourselves and so on. And then eventually in 76 it was launched. Well, the first day that we went on air was part of the test broadcasts. And um, we gave ourselves week intervals. So the deadline was a week uh, to prepare the bulletin and then to put it on air. Uh, and it was the pressure was tremendous on us, we thought at the time. Uh, so we had the broadcast on a Thursday evening. But by the Wednesday we were quite nervous already. And now we're going to get all of this together. Uh, and then eventually we did the test and so on and it went fairly well. But it was a completely different environment, of course, because we worked in film. So you go out and you shoot an interview and the film roll is only 10 minutes. So that was a discipline to learn from the start how to do interviews short and sharp and to the point that you only have 10 minutes and then you must change the film and then you must put it into a black bag and you put in the new film and put it over the camera and then that, that takes 15 to 20 minutes or so to do that and that's not of course a nice thing to do if you're speaking to people who are busy and in business and politics and so on and you say oh, film out no, hang on for 15 minutes we first want to change so that was a bit of a slip. Uh, so it was a discipline also to le learn how to do that uh, the interviews quickly and to the point and effectively. And then after that, of course, you had to develop the film, and that took another half an hour. And then you took it to an editing machine where you actually take the film and, and put it through a machine, uh, the editing machine, and then physically cut the, the pieces that you wanted to and sellotape it together. Uh, and then you could put it in a telecine machine and broadcast. Yeah, we had to, through telex, uh, get our international news. And then um, every second or third day, we received a box of film from Reuters in London. And they would then include in that box a sample of a couple of stories, you know, it can be a, a bus or a train accident in Punjab in India. The other one could be from the United States of the president saying something uh, and so forth. You know, and that, that arrived two days after the event and then you still had to cut it, you know, and write a story. And then um, we'll probably, we were on ASA three days after the event. Um, so that was not really very up to to the minute or the hour. These days, of course, 
you, everything is done on computer, or hardly used paper, and we put a news bulletin together within three hours before we go on air. That's it. Because if you don't do that, then it's old news by the time you go on air. The first great new development was the fax machine. Uh, and we hardly use faxes these days. Uh, and then eventually we we got computers and so on by them. So I would say mid-90s it became quite prevalent. Uh, so those changes were quite quite um, interesting and, and of course helped us greatly to be more up to the, the minute kind of news bulletin. Well, initially I was just a normal journalist sitting at the edge of the, the long table uh, doing all sorts of silly short stories and so on. And then gradually through the years I became a more senior reporter and so on. Then I became a European correspondent in 1988. I lived in London for three years as the correspondent of the SABC. When I was in London as the European correspondent of the SABC, um, I was there when Nelson Mandela had his first international visit. It was great excitement for me sitting in London um, when Mandela was released and the whole political reform process started here in South Africa. I was very jealous of fellow journalists who were here and could be part of it while I was sitting in London. But then when Mandela was released, in 1990, I think it was about May, um, he went on his first trip abroad, and that was to France. And um, we arranged with the French Forum's office to have access to the palace where they were meeting. He was meeting President Mitterrand. And then we got access to the, the palace of the president where he was me meeting Mandela. Mm -hmm and took some shots and so on, and then they say, okay, that's enough now, we must take you to where the other journalists are. And they took us into a courtyard, and there was a stand built, uh, like you would find at a soccer field or so. And um, there were probably a hundred journalists there. So by the time that we, me and my camera person, actually arrived outside, there was no place for us. Uh, to actually stand right in front and to wait for Mandela to come out after the meeting to give a news conference. So I asked the camera person to go and stand right at the top of the stand with a long lead, microphone lead, and I just crept on my knees until it got to the front, waiting for Mandela. Mm -hmm. And then Mandela eventually arrived, said goodbye to Mitterrand, and then he came towards us and he stopped right in front of me. And I was sitting there holding up my microphone towards him. And as you know, he's a quite tall, he's quite a tall man, you know, mm -hmm. so I had to reach up to, to really get close enough. And he saw me. And he said, um, Ah, Mr. Robinson, it's so nice to see you in person. I've watched you so many times in prison on Robben Island, and now it's a pleasure to meet you in person. But I must tell you that it's time for you to come back to South Africa because we need people to build the new South Africa. Yeah, it was overwhelming completely. I didn't expect 
I, when none of us knew him, of course, as a person and how he would be, his charisma was never conveyed to us as, as ordinary people. And he struck me just as a tremendously human, positive person who took an interest in other people, no matter how big or small you are, how important or not you are. And it made an impression that he saw me and that he wanted me to be part of the solution of the country and to help work towards it. And I took it to heart. And that immediately I think, set the tone for me for the rest of my life, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Because then I did uh, do my best to, to, to come back to South Africa, which I did at the end of that year. And then I came back as a executive producer and presenter of a program called Agenda at the time. Uh, I had the Sunday broadcast and then I became the, uh, the main anchor for Afrikaans. In the beginning of the 90s, of course, it was the time of the Kudesa and that was an exciting time. You could physically see people sitting down, taking notes, talking, discussing the way how the society will be structured. So we lived with them through the process of shape, helping to shape the new future for, for South Africa. is to broadcast it and to tell the stories so that people could understand what the issues were and how it can be resolved. Um, and then it was the period of the run-up to the elections. The challenges was basically to tell the true story from day to day uh, without actually fanning some flames because it was a very difficult situation also because there were people with great fears, those who had to give up the power and great expectation on the part of people who thought that now eventually we're going to be part of the new South Africa. So people approached the whole process differently because of different reasons in the past and with, certain, with different expectations in going into the future. So our task was basically to remain calm, to be objective, to tell the story uh, as, as truthfully as possible so that people can understand and through understanding perhaps temper their emotions and th help think about things and how to formulate a new future for this country through the process of constitutional writing. And from that moment onwards, during the election campaign, during all the broadcasts, I had excellent uh, relations with all political parties, um, but of course also with the ANC, because I knew that Mandela knew me, and of course by then I could say that I knew him, uh, and it was a great pleasure and an honor to be in a position where all parties, including the ANC, accepted me without um, reservation. Mm -hmm. So that, that was great. Earlier in my career, I took a decision. First, that I do not want to go into management. I want to be part of practical journalism, and that I am until this day. And secondly, that through my work as a journalist, I want to be part of a solution. I want to be part of a brighter future. 
And in that sense you can only do so if you are positive, if you are truthful, if you are understanding of other people, if you have feeling for other people, um, endearment towards other people, never to uh, actually try to trample on other people, never try to insult other people um, and be derogatory and so forth. So I saw my job as very important job where I can really help to influence people to think about things rather than to shout, scream and fight about things. Um, so when I came back I was the executive producer and presenter of this program agenda. From the start it was the great privilege that one could be uh, the executive producer and the presenter of the program so that you can determine what must go into the program and then execute it yourself. So it's a great responsibility and I remained that for many years, probably 20 years or more in various programs. So that was a great privilege and wonderful fact that you can actually execute what you plan yourself uh, and that planning must be always very good and precise, the clear vision of what you want to achieve and then you sit there and you do it. And that's what I did from the start with that program is to see how can we bring light into corners of darkness where politicians sit and plan all sorts of silly things. You had to be on your toes, first of all, knowing what is happening, but secondly, um, also getting the facts right about people, about institutions, about parties, um, and so on, and to do your utmost to be objective. Um, and that I tried. Through asking questions, never to insult people, never to denigrate them or make them less important because they're from a different political party uh, that might not be that strong. But it, it's really to to help people to understand. And that I'm thankful for that, I, that I've been in that position where I could play that kind of role. I remember after the Boy Patong uh, killings, uh, the ANC decided not to engage in talks anymore. Uh, so the whole process of Kudesa came to a standstill. And behind the scenes we tried our best to get some of the leaders on air to explain and to tell us what's happening. And somehow I managed to, to get Sarah Maposa and Rolf Mayer the two leading voices of the negotiations to get them together in a program. And that was the first time in weeks that they actually saw each other and met each other uh, again. And that was live on air on my program. And from that moment onwards, things started to change a little bit, to be more positive and they engaged in talks again. So there I had a sense that, luckily, I was part of a process of breaking the logjam, breaking that um, difficult situation and actually getting some forward movement towards talking and getting to a solution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Must have been a very proud moment. 
Yeah, it was, yeah. Especially those two together, sitting there on next to each other on the desk with me. It was fantastic. In the lead-up to the 1994 elections, Robertson had now become the face of SABC election broadcasts, having to crisscross large parts of the country as the election debates got the country talking. This in preparation to the first democratic election. Robertson says this was an exciting time of his life, but also there was a lot of work behind the scenes. That was very difficult. Um, because we, I don't know who thought about this, but we decided that we'll do a series of live broadcasts from different regions and provinces. Well, this was at the, at the beginning of 94, uh, as part of the preparation, of course, for elections. Um, we wanted to go all over the country, and I think we probably started with that in February or so. I think the first one... Um, was in Pal, oh yeah, that's one that I didn't mention. And that was actually quite nice because the setting was on a wine farm. It was fantastic. Um, the, the whole atmosphere and quite smart place. And I think they've never before allowed so many black people <laughs> to come through to for anything. And here suddenly they had to accommodate to 500 or more people of all colors and creeds uh, coming through together, sitting together and uh, be their guests in a sense. So I think that well, that was interesting. The Uppington one as well, because we were out in the field, literally, where we did it at a rock formation there. But what you didn't think about earlier when we planned this is that if you put up the lights, because this, this went out at about nine o'clock at night or something, if you put up lights, it would attract all sorts of moths and so on. So it became a very difficult situation, you know, for, especially for me as presenter, because you know, there were all sorts of flying objects all over the place, uh, and that made it difficult, you know, to keep a straight face and not to go off in a tangent and try just to clear the air. Um, and. We took our OBs, outside broadcast units, to various provinces, far away sometimes, um, like in Uppington in the Northern Cape. That was one live broadcast. Another one was in Cape Town itself at the Civic Center. Uh, the other one was in Durban. The other one was, that I did was also in Peter Marisburg. Um, but the idea was actually is to include all political parties, uh, except silly parties. Now, that we did in little video stories, uh, like the Kiss Party, for instance. Um, but all the more serious political parties, we had to accommodate on stage during our broadcast, and then the doors were open. Whomever wanted to attend, could attend, which means that um, in a place like Cape Town, for instance, you had more than a thousand people attending and there were something like 10, 11 representatives of political parties on stage. Uh, just to give everyone the opportunity to say something 
and then to allow the, the audience to ask questions was extremely difficult because you can imagine it was rowdy and you as a presenter, I was standing there on my own trying to keep the order like a circus master in a lion cage so that people can get the opportunity to listen, to be heard and to participate and to speak up, speak up and so on. So it was very difficult and all of this live on air for an hour. It was tough. It was really a tough job. I mean, some of the foreigners who were here at the time from the BBC and so on, ABC from Australia, uh, they thought we were completely mad to do it. But it worked, in a sense. Uh, it was great fun, great challenge. Um, and it was very exciting you know, to be part of such a process, dynamic process. Um, and to actually learn more about the political parties themselves, to meet all the people. Um, and then also, of course, to be part as a South African part of the audience who could actually observe and learn and listen. Yeah, and it was very costly as well, as you can imagine, because we had to take obese all over the country. Um, it, there were two... Um, two efforts at the same time, or processes. I did one of, of the, the broadcasts um, in four or five provinces, and then my colleague did um, the same in other provinces, for instance in Pumalanga, Lampopo and so on, Free State, uh, Eastern Cape. Um, I didn't do those, so these were organized at the same time, so we, we probably had um, two, or at least one a week in, in the run-up to the elections. And then, of course, we had uh, the Nelson Mandela declared debate as the final cherry on top of all of this. I was the moderator of the debate, the Clark and Mandela. That, unfortunately, wasn't so exciting for the simple reason that the two parties, the National Party and the ANC, were so careful to control the process that there was no freedom actually just to ask questions and for a little bit of debate and so on, because it was very structured. You get two minutes to make an opening statement, two minutes opening statement, uh, two minutes to answer one first question, two minutes to ask one question, then the opportunity to respond to that answer or that question, one minute, and so on, you know. So it was, wasn't that exciting, but it was a great moment. It was a fantastic moment to see those two leaders together and to be part of that process. That was a great privilege, I would say. The lead-up to the elections involved months and months of prep work. This process had started late in 1993 and involved a number of stakeholders. And Robertson says he had to find a way to bring them together. Great expectations from so many people for different reasons, as I said before. Um, and there were all sorts of things happening, as you remember, you know, the violence in Brazilian Natal in hostels here in Joburg. It, it was a difficult time uh, because we know that the possibility of violence 
was there always during our broadcast as well. That's why we made sure every time that we had the police on board and that there were several policemen, uh, plaintiffs and others who were ready to assist if there's any problem. Um, but we never experienced that. I never experienced that kind of problem uh, in a practical sense. Although I was aware of the danger, it never really came to, to me personally. In Cape Town, perhaps, the, during our broadcast there, it was difficult because at one stage the PAC became a bit uh, too loud and they started toy-toying and, and making a circle of people walking up and down and so on. But I managed eventually to calm them down and then carry on with the broadcast. So, but for the rest, I was aware of the danger, but it never came close to us. And I, I haven't been a journalist in the field in the sense that I had to go to um, Sepas or Kuzidunatel where the violence was playing out. So I was a presenter of these organized broadcasts. Fast forward 26 April. Where are you? What are you doing? What are you feeling? Oh, well, it was absolutely fantastic. And I was part of the broadcast team, of course. Uh, on election day and the results as well. So that was also a great privilege to know that you're, you're taking part in the historical process uh, of bringing the news to the people of South Africa for new dispensation. So that that was great fun. Um, I did Afrikaans, of course, broadcasts, um, but so, so many of my other colleagues in various different languages sitting in a vast open space uh, with facilities and sets and so on, you know, it was exciting. Um, I wonder how many people were involved in that. Those broadcasts must, must have been hundreds. You know, if you think about all the technical people, um, lighting, sound, film, uh, camera people and so forth, you know. And then, of course, the presenters and all the the experts and so on who came through to give opinions and so on, the political parties who were present there, so on. That was fantastic. It was great. It was a great relief for me. Um, I really embraced the whole process and the new South Africa uh, completely from the start. I was in, while I was in London, I made contact with the ANC and my bosses, of course, never knew that because they would have probably fired me immediately. Well, well I, in particular, I wanted to, to meet Tabo Mbeki because he was clearly a spokesperson for the ANC and very capable, very intelligent. And so I thought I would like to meet him. And I went to the office of the ANC in Islington and arranged through them. Uh, to, to actually meet up with Bacon. I did it twice. Um, the, the last time I met him, I think, was in a pub in Eastington. And we had many glasses of whiskey together, together talking about politics and so on. And, and then, then I realized after a while that, that there was no difference between my expectations and dreams for a new South Africa and his dreams and expectations. Um, because now I really 
had a name and a person and flesh and blood that I could talk to uh, about the future and engage instead of just listening to propaganda and what the state allowed us to broadcast here in South Africa. So that was great sitting down with Tabo Mbeki and I had great respect for him, for him and that remained until he was removed as president. Uh, but the only difference that we had was the use of violence. I told him straight that I could not accept that because Gandhi was a great reformer and he never preached violence. So why must we preach violence and exercise violence? So that was uh, one point of difference. But for the rest it was the same. So that I didn't worry about the ANC. I had great fears and thinking, oh, now the country is going down the drains. No, no. Because I realized that we had the same dreams for the country. We wanted democracy. We want people to be happy for the country to develop. And it couldn't develop under apartheid. We were at a dead end. So this was the opening of a door towards development, emancipation of the entire populace so that we could be part of the same dispensation and be real fellow citizens instead of being enemies. Because I had a positive experience throughout the election campaign period. There were tough times, uh, for instance, um, the murder of the AWB leader, or AWB um, members. Um, that that was a tipping point that that didn't, unfortunately, didn't go beyond that. Um, there was Boy Patong. Uh, there was the murder on the Communist Party leader. Um, so there were a few scary moments you know, in the build-up to the election. And continuing violence in the hostels, for instance, here in Joburg, in, in the rural areas of KwaZulu-Natal. That was quite scary. But then on the election day and when the, the results started coming in, I wasn't surprised about the majority of the ANC. Um, I, right from the start, had clear feeling that the National Party would not do very well. They, in fact, did a little bit better than what I anticipated they would. Uh, but at least it ensured that they had a, a reasonable mandate to be part of a government of unity and, in that sense, be part of governing, making sure that... Um, we all move forward together and are co-responsible for decisions taken and actually implement them. So Mandela's speech was fantastic. It really, to the extent that it was still possible, it, it really pulled me towards the future and made me you know, be thankful for embracing this new situation and feeling part of a better future that um, he actually pointed us to. Uh, so I enjoyed, I was there at the Union Buildings broadcasting live, um, so that, that, that was great. Mm -hmm. um, and then to be part of that process afterwards, um, still being in a position that I could speak to uh, the politicians that I could um, actually broadcast developments, new things happening in the country.
and so forth. So I've been privileged in many ways of being part of the, the shaping of the future of this country. And that was former SABC News journalist Freak Robertson giving us an account of what his journey was like approaching the 1994 elections. Thank you once more for listening. I certainly hope you've enjoyed this podcast.